Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for being the God who speaks. And when God speaks, Lord, we want to know this morning when you speak to us. So please do in Jesus name. Amen. Genesis 45 verse one, Genesis 45 verse one. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the, ha- in the house of Pharaoh heard. Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? His brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. They came near. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life for these two years, Hath the famine been in the land, and there are yet five years in the which there shall be neither there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste you, go up to my father, say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, thy children's children, thy flocks, thy herds, and all that thou hast. There will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. Behold, your eyes see the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that is my mouth that speaketh unto you. You shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and you shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. And the fame thereof was heard in Joseph's house, at Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants, and his servants. Now, this has been for us, just a great chapter for us to study. It's, it's really, in many ways, when you look at this chapter, it's the climax. It's what we've been building up to in the life of Joseph, where we've seen in the chapters before how Joseph was moving toward this great goal of this chapter when he's going to bring his brothers into reconciliation with, with God, with himself, and with God. And this is what the life of Joseph illustrates for us. It's the saviorhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we, as when we look back over the previous chapters to kind of get a feeling for where this chapter is, 
In chapters 34 and 35, we saw just how far Joseph's brothers were from God with a particular low point that came in their lives when they had that unjustifiable slaughter of the Shechemites. That was in chapter 34. And just like the brothers, we all have those times in our life when we are far from God, and just like with the slaughter of the Shechemites, we all have low points in our lives. So to save his brother from their sins, that became the life work of Joseph, the life work of Joseph. And that illustrates for us the life work of the Lord Jesus Christ when it says when he was when, at his birth in, in Matthew one twenty one. When the angel said to Joseph, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what Joseph is doing, saving his brother from their sins. Joseph's life, his life work was all about saving his brothers from their sins by bringing them to repentance. And that all started in chapter 37 when Joseph was sold as a slave. Now, that was God's preparation for Joseph's brothers for, to, to get safe from their sins, it all started back in chapter 37 when Joseph was sold as a slave into Egypt. And what was so significant was that God started this preparation by preparing Joseph to save his brothers from his, their sins back in chapter 37. And then in chapter 38, God put in this the, the lowest point in Judah's life, this very low point of all his sexual immorality with the women of Canaan. And so by seeing Joseph already being prepared to be the savior of his brothers in chapter 37, and then this horrible sin of Judah in chapter 38, we can see how that applies to our lives by when we look at that in the context of Romans 5.8. Because Romans 5.8 says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So just as Joseph was being prepared by God to be the savior of his brothers, Judah was out committing this most horrible sexual sins with these Canaanite women. And the pattern there of chapter 37 with Joseph being prepared to be the the savior of his brothers from their sins, and then chapter 38 of his brother Judah diving into into sin. That's the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ dying for our sins while we were sinning against the Lord. So just as the Lord was dying for our sins to save us, we were out sinning. And the great preparation of Joseph to save us, his brothers from their sins, it continued then from chapter 37 to where we are right now, to chapter 45. And finally, God made Joseph to succeed with doing a good job with his life work of bringing his brothers to repentance so they could be saved from their sins. And this is where we are right now in this panorama of, of uh, Genesis history here, is this, we're in this fulfillment of Joseph's life work as Joseph is, is, is bringing his brothers to repentance. And it all climaxed here in, in verse 3, chapter 45, verse 3, when it says, Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. And this was Joseph's great reason for living. Then he reached this climax here in verse 3. You know, something happened to me about eight years ago that started me to think about my life work 
and it happened in Japan. I got Japan on my mind right now. I don't know. I, <laughs> everything in Japan. Anyway, and it happened in Japan when, when we were in a scientific meeting with a group of endocrinologists in, in Japan. And the president of our Scanabodies Japan company, he, he introduced me because I, I, I was going uh, to give the talk when he said, this is Tom Cantor. His life work is parathyroid hormone. <laughs> now, that statement shocked me because <laughs> I never heard anyone say about me that what my life work was. And when he said my life work was parathyroid hormone, I said to myself, it is? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> but it caused me to kind of go off at that moment into a world of my own. And I, and I sat there and I asked myself the question, well, well, would I say my life work is parathyroid hormone? Now, I know people whose life work is parathyroid hormone. Dr. John Potts from Harvard University, a colleague, we published paper together, he's a great friend, but that's his life work. He would say that. As a matter of fact, he was talking to his mother one time in Boston, and he says, Mom, I'm going to, he's the director of research at Massachusetts General Hospital at Harvard, and so he said, Mom, I, I, I'm gonna, uh, my, I'm gonna study parathyroid hormone. And he, and she said to him, well, that's great, Johnny. She told, he told me, he says, she said, that's great, Johnny. When are you gonna finish your study? You know? <laughs> and he said, I hope never, because you know? <laughs> it's his life work. Anyway, but, but I know why, I know why Dr. Mioga said that about me, because we were, meet, we, we were meeting there to talk about the findings we had with parathyroid hormone. But, and when he said, but when he said that, it challenged me with the question, what is my life work? And that's where I was off in my own little world at that time. And I said to myself, no, my life work is to reach Jewish people with the gospel. And, and, and if my mother said to me, which she never would, when will, you, when will that job be finished? I would say, I hope never. But actually, I hope it will be done one time. <laughs> But as we see Joseph here fulfilling his life work, the scene in verse 3 is, very, is a challenge to us because we, answer, we ask ourselves the question, what is our life work? What is our individual life work? I mean, our life is relatively short. So you could almost say within the limits of our short life, there is given to each one of us a life work to finish. And the question is, what is it? And these, that's what makes these statements that the Lord Jesus said so amazing when he said in John 17, 4, when he was, when he was praying to his father in John 17, 4, he said, I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He could say, I have finished my life work which thou gavest me to do. And then on the cross in John 19, 30, in John 19, 30, when he finally said, it is finished or it is accomplished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, he was talking about his life work was finished. And in the Gospels, we, we, we see that when he started his life work, and we can see in the middle of his life work, and then we can see when he finished his life work. And it really then, when he finished his life work, and he said it is finished, the reason for living for him on earth was now over, and there remained nothing for him but to die, but die. Now, we look at verse 3, and if you look at verse 3, 
There was something in particular that troubled the brothers. What was it? What was it that what troubled the brothers the most about Joseph in verse 3? Just look at the verse. What does the verse say? His presence. They were troubled at his presence. The, 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 it, that's a very specific description about what troubled the brothers. It was Joseph's presence. I mean, what troubled the, bros- the, the brother, brothers the most was just, he's there. It's, he's there. It's his presence. It, he's alive. He's standing before them. That really troubled them. And, and that's expressed in this phrase in verse 3, they were troubled at his presence. Now, for the brothers, we, we, we have to realize that for the brothers, you know, finding it, it, Joseph being there was, was not a, oh, Joseph, we're so glad to see you again. We've missed you so much. How have you been? You know, we have so much to keep up with. Well, tell us about all the adventures that have happened to you in, in Egypt here. So good to be with you. Let's never separate again, all right? No, it wasn't that way. <laughs> it wasn't. Be nice if it was, but it wasn't. No, it was more like this. Oh, Joseph, we thought we got rid of you. We almost killed you in that waterless pit in the desert. Slaves never become free men in Egypt. Never. They never come out of slavery. We thought we would never see you again. We thought we gave you the final blow. We are troubled at your presence. See, that's the difference between being glad at his presence and troubled at his presence. So the phrase they were troubled at his presence, is a picture of what it's going to be like for those who, 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 who either directly were involved in the Lord's crucifixion as they, as they jeered him as he was dying, or indirectly have jeered him by wanting his name and remembrance to be forgotten. And they will be troubled at his presence like the brothers were, and all this troubled at his presence at that presence is described for us in Revelation 1-7. Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, he cometh in the clouds, with clouds, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. See, why will they also who pierced him and all kindreds of the earth wail because of him? Because they're going to be troubled at his presence. Same reason. They're going to be troubled at his presence. At his mock trial, the Lord Jesus was trying to warn them of how he's trying to tell them all, say, you are going to be troubled at my presence when he said to them in Matthew 26, 64, Matthew 26, 64, Jesus saith unto them, thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. See, why would they be troubled at his presence? Because when they see him next, it will be a scene described in Revelation 6.15. Because in Revelation 6.15, it says, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty man, every bond man, every free man hid himself in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? All right. Now, he sees that they're troubled. He sees they're troubled. But Joseph sees a particular trouble 
that, that, that they're experiencing. And, and in verse five, when you look at verse five, what would you say is the reaction of his brothers from having seen Joseph? What, what kind of trouble was it? How's it described in verse five? What was the reaction of his brothers from seeing Joseph? In verse five, they were grieved and angry. They were grieved and angry. Who were they angry with? Themselves. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. See, they were angry with themselves for having sold Joseph into Egypt. And what we see here is a picture of what true repentance looks like. Repentance always results in a deep grief in the soul and an anger with self. In order for anyone to be saved, he must experience what's described in verse 5. There must be this deep grief in the soul and an anger with, with, with himself for the sins that he decided to do. And this is what separates, verse 5 here in this description, is what separates genuine repentance and conversion because it's deep in the soul from superficial, verbal only, false conversion. What separates it is this deep grief in the soul and anger with self over the decisions to sin. And if there's not a verse 5 experience in a person's life, this grief in the soul, this anger with uh, anger with self over sins, there's just not a genuine repentance and conversion. It's just that simple. People can sign papers. People can raise hands. People can repeat prayers. But there must be this verse 5 earthquake in the soul of this grief, deep grief, and anger with self. So, so that's what man does when he's converted. He repents with the grief, and he has an anger with self. But then in the next words of Joseph, we see what God does in this conversion process. See, Joseph could, could not have been more calming. He could have not have been more comforting to his brothers than to say that when they sold him as a slave, that it was really, in verse 5, God did send me before you to preserve life. I mean, once the brothers showed this grief and this anger with self, then Joseph steps in with words of comfort to tell them, it was really God. It was really God. Don't worry. It was really God that sent me here to Egypt. And that's what God does for the sinner. The sinner who is truly grieved deeply in his soul, is angry with himself, God speaks in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. See, God commands this. And then in Isaiah 66, 13, in Isaiah 66, 13, as one whom his mother comforteth. I mean, just picture that right? I mean, as one whom his mother comforted, right? Comforted. No. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. This is God speaking. So will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So God comforts the repentant sinner like a mother comforts her child. And now Joseph reveals where his heart really is concerned. And he does this in verse 6 when he says, These two years hath the famine been in the land, and there are yet five years 
in the which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. So what Joseph said here in this verse six here with his, his two and five is really revealing to us a mentality for Joseph. It's really a state of mind that Joseph is in. Joseph is very, in this verse six, Joseph is very focused on the fact that there have been two years of famine that have passed and that there are five years of famine still remaining. So Joseph has, he's got one eye on the two years that have passed and he's got another eye on the coming five years of the famine. And he's actually aware of the fact that there's going to be no more harvest for the next five years. So when you look at this, verse 6, you can call this Joseph's mentality two down, five to go. This is a two down, five to go concern. It's a two down, five to go concern in his life. And this scene of Joseph here with his two down, five to go concern is challenging for us. It's challenging for us personally. I mean, do you have, like I do, a, a list of lost people that you regularly pray for? Do you have a kind of list like that? Yeah, some of you do. You know, you have a list of lost people. You pray for them regularly. Well, then have you experienced, as I have, that some of those lost people on your prayer list have died? Has <laughs> that, that happened too? Okay. Uh, I mean, just this last week. I mean, I'm talking two days ago. We had a shock we had a shockwave go through the company as one of our staff who's worked for us for 11 years, only 44 years old, died. He passed away. And it all started a month ago when he was a very healthy person. He was just found non-responsive at the desk. And all thought that everything was under control when he was discharged from the hospital. He had a treatment plan, et cetera, until, last, until a couple days ago when death came. Only 44 years old. And, and my first thought was, was the decision, did he make the decision to be saved? And I don't know. But, but what I do know is that I spoke at every company breakfast, quarterly breakfast, four times a year, and at every company Christmas meal. And I always try to bring the gospel in every one. So I know that the gospel was heard maybe around 50 times. But but the time of the gospel decision for that person has passed. It's gone. And I have experienced lost people on my prayer list that die. And it's very disturbing to realize that, oh, no, you can't pray for that person anymore uh, because that, the, you can't pray for their salvation because they're in the post-death eternity phase of life. And, and it's already begun. And when it first happened that a lost person on my prayer list died, I started to delete that person, you know, from my prayer list. And I started to do that. And then I decided, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm going to leave them on the prayer list as a reminder of two down, five to go. Concern. And that's what we see in verse 6. And so now, whenever I see these names on my prayer list, it reminds me of the short limits of our life here on earth. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program and founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, would like to invite you to celebrate Good Friday on Friday, March 30th at 7 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee. Enjoy an evening of an in-depth Bible teaching from Tom Cantor, followed by a communion service on Good Friday at 7 p.m. Then join Tom in the Friendship with God Fellowship Sunday, April 1st at 5.30 p.m. for a special Easter Passover message. You are also invited to a Passover Seder dinner with Tom Cantor, Saturday, April 7th. The cost of the Passover meal is only $20. Enjoy great DZ Aikens food, fellowship, and a memorable Passover Seder message from Tom Cantor. The Friendship with God Fellowship Church is located inside the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, next to the Highway 67 and the Santee Drive-In. For more information, please call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or go to our website at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.